Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives You might have heard that I'm sitting here with my dog on my lap Recording the intro now she's got the, 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 the puppy snuggles, and you just can't let them go. So, dog, Sandy, you're with me on this one. Uh, today's episode is a lot of fun, as it always is, right? We get Jess Mena on the, on, the, on the call. It's always a great time. Today we're talking about plantar fasciitis, all things plantar fasciitis. If you've ever experienced it or you're experiencing it now, I apologize. That's too bad. However, if you've never experienced it, you're going to want to listen to, not just to boost my podcast numbers. I would never I would never say that. I would never do that. I'm telling you because there are warning signs, and you want to be aware of them. If not for you, that would be awesome. But we all know other runners, too. So it's nice to know what the warning signs are, just in case something comes up with someone we love, and we can give them a little, hey, this is what you need to look out for. So before we get into it, I want to give a huge shout-out to our sponsor today, Tannery. The sun is out. Summer is here, which means you need to protect yourself, right? The sunscreen is so important for me and for all of us. Tannery has three products that I use liberally. I got the sunscreen, we got the mineral cover, and the lip balm as well that has the SPF in there. Now, this is for runners, made by runners, which is huge, which means you get the coverage you want, but it doesn't run into your eyes. The only running is you, not your sunscreen, and, and, and. The chemicals. This is a big thing. For a lot of people, they worry about the chemicals that they put on their skin, and that's where Tanri comes up big. They are very, very conscious of this as well. So go over to Tanri.com. That's T-A-N-R-I, like tanning in Rhode Island. Tanri. But they're not from Rhode Island. This is just me freestyling in the middle of an ad. I don't know why, but here we go. Tanri.com, T-A-N-R-I.com forward slash rambling to save 10%. Also, when you support our sponsors, you support me. Why? Well, they want to come back and support the show, which I really appreciate. So let's get into it with Jess Mena. All right, we are back with Jess Mena. Of course, our monthly podcast where we talk to Jess Mena about some ailments, some PT help. In addition to that, Jess has always been um, giving us kind of the lowdown of what she's doing over there in the L.A. running scene, northern L.A. running scene uh, as well. So we're going to we're going to hint at that now. Some updates, some meets going on, some events happening. But as you probably already heard from the title of this podcast, we're going to talk all about plantar fasciitis, as Chris McDougall called it in Born to Run, the vampire bite. Of running injuries. There are a lot of problems with that book. If we look at it now, you know, 10 or 15 years removed, but that one was right on the money. That is the perfect name for it. Jess, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I always love coming on here talking about all sorts of stuff and I'm ready for this topic. That's right. Because in the past, we've talked about side stitches and we've talked about strength training. So we're, we're hitting all angles, all different body parts. That is for sure. People who don't know, plantar fasciitis affects your feet. And this is my, we we can just stop the podcast here because I've already learned a trick to diagnose somebody if they have plantar fasciitis. (laughs) That is, if you ask them how to spell plantar fasciitis and they spell it correctly, 
they have it because it means they have spent yeah. a lot of time on the internet looking it up. It is a tricky word to spell. I know this because I typed it into my little Instagram today asking people if they had any questions and I misspelled it 17 times. Finally got it right, which <laughs> proves that I haven't had plantar fasciitis yet, which I am very happy with. But just give us, let's just let's talk generally first. What is plantar fasciitis? What is fasciitis? What is a plantar? What is What are these words? Yeah, what is what is all the things? All these big words. Okay. Plantar fasciitis. Uh, well, let's start off. Let's back up. The fascia. You have a lot of things going on in your foot. You have a very dense, fibrous, thick fascia that starts at your heel. And it kind of runs all the way across your foot to the base of your toes, basically. Um, and that's what you call the plantar fascia. Um, and that thing, if you irritate it, you get micro tears, it is... It, I'm sure it feels maybe like a vampire bite, like mentioned before. So, so what is fascia? Is it only in your feet? No, you have fascia running across your whole body. So I'd almost describe it as like, think of a bodysuit. You have this whole layer of connective tissue that lines all of your muscles and your tendons across your whole body. Um, and there's certain parts in your body where you have this fascia that becomes almost a little bit more tenderness in certain parts um, of your body, like your hands. You'll have a little bit more dense fascia in your hands when you're connecting tendons and ligaments and same thing with your feet. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the plantar fascia or fascia. All right. So it's the fascia in your feet and it's all connected. So all the fascia is kind of interconnected. Super in interconnected. And then if you, I always think back to our cadaver labs. I remember like, it's kind of gruesome slicing someone's kind, foot. Yeah, kinda, right? yeah. Kinda, <laughs> little bit. yeah, it's very, it's almost like the best way I could describe it. Um, it's almost a sense like plasticky spider web. That's all ropey and connected. So fascia, it, if you irritate that, it's super innervated and sensitive and it can really kind of halt your training. So super important to try to prevent it. Um, and then I'm excited to talk about what we can do to help it if you do have plantar fasciitis. Right. So fascia is, is thick. It's strong. It's durable. It, it helps us move around. So why... Would it get irritated in the first place? Like, what 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 could possibly be happening when someone's just jogging around? Even some people who are like not even like going out there and doing like super hard trail running, where they're beating up their feet, or they're doing like these fifty k road ultras and stuff like that. They're just going out there running four to eight miles a day. How could this bother something that's so integral to the connective tissue and our body? You know, in total, that is a. Great question. And I'm going to, I hate saying this, but it really depends. So I think the problem with plantar fascia or the fascia is that because it connects to your ankle joint and your toes, a lot of things go into play with what could possibly irritate and injure your fascia, right? So one, it's supposed to stretch and help absorb shock when you land. But if other things at play, for example, your big toe is too stiff or your ankle's too stiff, or you have very flat feet and you overpronate, or you have high arches and your foot is really stiff, all those things can help, can not help, but really affect the way that your fascia moves and tolerates the stress. I think it seems to be more probable like newer runners or newer athletes who are starting to put stress on their feet. And if you're not strong enough or you don't have the mobility for it, you know, the fascia is one of the first things that kind of suffers because it's not meant to do all the work. 
I guess. Yes, it helps absorb shock, but it shouldn't be the only thing helping you absorb shock. So that is the simplest answer to that question. Got it. Okay. So it can happen in a variety of different ways. And one thing that seems to be a recurring theme for so many people who have um, fallen prey to this to this issue is that unlike some other issues that sometimes come up, like, hey, I got an ankle sprain or I have some little bit of IT band issue. Like this seems to be, that's a horrible example because IT band issues can linger. This is an issue. This is an injury that for a lot of people can linger for a long time. A that can come back time. easily and reoccurring. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems like th- that this can be not just a one-time issue that kind of once you get it, it almost like it almost like becomes like a degenerative disease in a way. It just kind of lingers. Yes, and it can be degenerative. So the the thing that's more frustrating for people, especially active people, is when you get diagnosed and once you go to the doctor, you, it's gotten bad enough that you're going to the doctor, right? And at that point, it's like, okay, the tissue's inflamed. There's all these other things that have to that have to be corrected. So. I would say for the most part, for someone who is a really bad case of plantar fasciitis, they probably won't feel 100% at least six months from when it got really bad. But if you start, and the good thing about plantar fasciitis is that it becomes on, it comes on kind of gradual. So you'll start feeling like, oh, my heel is sore. Okay. When you feel the heel soreness, that's when you go, okay, if you fix everything and you do all the preventative work and you do all the stretching and the strengthening or whatever, you could probably get better in a few weeks. But once you have the sharp pain, you wake up in the morning, the first step, you have a stabbing pain in your heel, it lingers, gets a little bit better, and then it gets really achy at the end of the night. That's when you start thinking, oh, this is going to take a few months. Okay. Or it could potentially take a few months. All right, this is this is exactly where I was going. Okay, first signs of plantar. There's some people who are listening to this who are like, I've been down this road long enough. But some people who aren't, who don't don't know a lot about plantar fascia, listening to this, they're just going to listen to the podcast. They turn this on, they're like, Yeah, hey, I don't even know what this is. Really, I hear people talking about it. So, what are some of the first symptoms for plantar fasciitis for someone who's never experienced it before that they can maybe be on the lookout to see what's happening? First signs is you're going to notice. Heel soreness, but mostly you'll notice it not on the outside of your heel or right in the center of your heel, but more on like the inside. We call the medial aspect of the heel. That's where the fascia originates from. You start feeling soreness there like after a run or you wake up in the morning and it's sore. That's when you start thinking, oh, this might be plantar fasciitis and it might not be full blown. So that's probably the first thing that I will tell people. I'm like, if you're feeling soreness and it's not, it's not stopping you from running, you can still run. It goes away. But in the morning, or if you're, let's say you do a long run and you rest and you put your feet up and then you get up again and you feel that soreness, first sign, I would say heel soreness. So why is it like, so bo- both of these, obviously the, the common theme here is you're off your feet, you're relaxing, and then you're, then you're putting your feet back on the ground. Why would it pop up then? So you want to, so the, if you look at, if you read up on research and pathology of fascia, plantar fasciitis, it's a micro tear of the tissue. So you tear it, micro tear it. And then when you rest, it starts healing. So think of like a cut on your face, on your hand, you paper cut, right? You don't bother it. But if you stretch the skin, ouch, it kind of hurts. It's kind of the same concept. Like the, the, the fascia will kind of relax. There's no pressure on it. So it kind of contracts again to its original form. You stretch it, you pull on something that's kind of hurt, and you're going to feel this soreness, which is why people feel that the worst in the morning, if you have it really bad, is 
you've your feet generally are point like if you're sleeping on your back or your stomach your feet aren't pointed up they're pointed down so it kind of shortens the fascia you take a huge step stretches it really fast if it's if you have a lot of micro tears there boom sharp pain okay gotcha yeah I'm, I'm envisioning like the former dancer who all of a sudden like hasn't danced in a while wants to break it out at like the wedding reception tries to do a split on the dance floor and immediately yeah. regrets it <laughs> exactly <laughs> similar concept like you just lose that elasticity uh because you're, i mean sure you have inflammatory things going on in there so you'll feel that sensation but i do think if you have the soreness good sign is you probably rehab yourself back rather quickly sharp pain in the morning that lingers, gets worse, goes away. And at the end of the day, it's worse. You're going to have a harder time going back to running in a timely fashion. All right. Let's go in order of problematic issues. Okay. So say someone gets exactly what you just described. They're like, Hey, wow. All right. Like I'm in that boat. I think, you know, I might have plantar fasciitis or maybe someone who's had in the past, all of a sudden they're experiencing it again. And they're like, oh, God, they get like some sort of like PTSD flashback. Of, and they're like, oh, I'm just going to ignore it. Hopefully it's fine. What should they do when they start developing these early symptoms? Okay, off the bat, I think the classic thing that everyone will say, every doctor will say, right, is are you stretching? Boom. If you're not stretching your calves... And you tend to have stiff ankles. That's one of the first things you should do because if your ankle is stiff or your calf is stiff, you're not allowing your foot to roll off of your toe or allowing your ankle to bend as much. And so your body's going to compensate. If you can't roll off and you don't have adequate mobility, you're just going to put more stress on the fascia, which is on the bottom of your feet. So stretching for one is the, the, the safest thing, the best thing to do. Now, this is where it kind of gets tricky. So most people tend to know the shape of their foot, right? If you have high arches, you definitely most likely are stiff. If you have very flat feet, low arches, and you pronate a lot, yes, there might be a stiffness component. But for you guys, it most likely is an overstretching problem. So for people who have very flat feet, think about it. The fascia runs from your heel to your toe flat feet you pronate you're stretching it too much so you actually those people might need more strengthening and foot strengthening exercises people who are very high arches stiff foot shortened fascia probably need to stretch more now you mentioned before about big big toe mobility um now you you technically you talked about like the calf stretching and then you know some of the foot exercises as well where does this big toe stuff get into the mix? Like, I don't, this so, is very, yeah. like, I've never been like, I've heard of stretching before. Again, I'm, part of this is playing dumb. I, I, I do know some of this stuff. I do, do my research, but I'm trying to like play along with someone who's like, who might be listening to this. They don't, this is the first time I've heard any of this. Okay. Yeah. They're like, all right, hold on. So what am I supposed to do with my big toe? This is a very specific body part. Yes. Very specific. First sign is if you look down or you tend to have bunions and you have plantar fasciitis, you're probably someone that needs to stretch their toe. So I'm telling you, this can go a hundred ways. But when stretching your toe is important for someone who has bunions because that's the first sign that you do have a stiff ankle or you overpronate. Okay. Okay. Because now the anatomy of the foot changes. You're supposed to go heel, rock off of your big toe and bend. If you don't have that mobility, you're going to tend to turn out your feet 
or you pronate. So you're, you have a collapse and you're going to roll off the base of your big toe. So for people like that, I know, okay, they're not actually getting enough extension of their big toe. Okay. Again, so you're stressing the fascia and stretching the big toe can help uh, elongate the fascia that might be stiff for someone who has very high arches. And then someone who's, uh, for example, a very low arch, you want to promote toe roll off, not midfoot roll off. So for both people, that might be important. Interesting. So it seems like in either situation, a faster problem is primarily an overcompensation issue. Yes, 100%. Okay. All right. And then depending on someone's body type and running style, that those things could be on, on completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of what's causing it. But the the root of it is overcompensation. Yes, absolutely. And it's always going to be, and you'll notice with all of the uh, repetitive injury injuries, it's always going to be an imbalance. You're either not stiff, you're not flexible or not strong enough, either one or both of them combination of. So the feet is just, with the feet is just a little bit more difficult because it's not like when you strain like your shoulder, you can like avoid it and not use it and rest it with your feet. You're walking on them all the time. So I think that's, that's another factor of why it takes so long as you can not avoid, you know, using your feet. All right. I'm going to go and throw some random stuff in there because I'm going to okay. talk about like some, some Matt Chittum things that have happened in the past, but they're also topical to this time of year. Um, and then we'll also get into some questions. A lot of people submitted questions over on Instagram stories, which were great. So thank you so much for that. Um, and then also you can take this in wherever you want to go. You're the expert. Um, I have noticed that first of all, one, one of my feet is more likely to have this issue. I never had full blown plantar fasciitis, but I've had like the early markers for it. Now, I had two things. Um, I had a full diagnostic check with Dwayne Scotty, who was a running PT. Was great. It was his own awesome podcast. He lives near me, did a full 90-minute diagnostic thing with me like a year ago. And he's like, hey, your big toe mobility is not good. I'm like, yeah, this is not something I practice. Okay, fine. Um, so he's like, well, this this can lead to it, as you mentioned. So like mm-hmm. I, when I wake up in the morning, that's one of the first things I do is I do my little big toe mobility half lunge. Great. Stretch, toe right? yoga. Great. Toe uh-huh. yoga. There it is. See, mm-hmm. yes. really mm-hmm. talk about micro, micro dosing my stretching here. Um, but I have noticed that in the summer, I'm more likely to develop this issue because... I'm wearing sandals. Yep. Sandals. sandals and flip-flops. Talk to me mm-hmm. about not running shoes. We'll get there, but just casual around the house shoes or no shoes or just, you know, bumping around the neighborhood doing chores. How does footwear matter just in everyday life, non-running related? We'll get to the running part in a second. Well, one, flip-flops for one, you don't get enough stability, period. Two, when you're in flip-flops, your toes actually have to work harder. So they grasp and grip the sandal in order for them not to flop off of your your foot. So if you have stiffness in your toe or ankle, you actually contract the fascia more because you're actually using your toes more. So you grip more. Yeah, you're doing like little like you're like like monkey feet. Yeah. So and I don't know if you'll notice, but a lot of people will say, like, oh yeah, my I feel burning under my toe when I'm walking in flip-flops for too long. It's because you have to like push your toe into the sandal to make sure that the 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 what is it called? The thong part? Is that the right word? It is, but you shouldn't be. You, should be, you have thrown out some wild words in this podcast and you're afraid to say thong. <laughs> yeah. 
I feel like, yeah, the thong of your sandal. In yeah, this episode, in previous episodes, I had my producer once ask me after episode, like, are we going to bleep Jess or there's too many swear words? Are we just going to put I an know. explicit tag on it? Oh like, let's God. just put an explicit tag on it. There's just too, there's yeah. too many. <laughs> oh, I know. I learned. I learned. I, I've toned it down, guys. I've toned it down. But <laughs> yeah, I'm blushing. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Yes. So anyways, so for the thong not to come off of your sandal, you aren't going to have to grip it. So around the house, I actually I am a big proponent for barefoot walking because I think it allows your foot to naturally grip the ground and push off the ground and roll off the toes you're supposed to unless you have, I mean, obvious foot deformity or some wild foot pain you know don't but if you generally don't have pain i'd say when you're at home it's almost better to be, go walk around barefoot okay barefoot walking is great um yeah so that's my two take on sandals and like at home slippers i mean they're comfortable if you have you know metatarsalgia or like sore spots great but barefoot walking is great for your feet okay but sandals and slides not great because you're Not gripping great. even more. Um, and then if you have issues, so someone who is, all right, I'm dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Should they wear, should they go barefoot in the house? Should they do something else? How, how does it work for them? No. And you know what? I think technology, thank God for modern day, that there's companies like Ufus. Is that what they're called? Ufus? Ufus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the way that they do is We they- try to get them to sponsor this podcast, Jess. We're yeah, trying. We're- <laughs> we try to get like, this is- Come on, Ufos. Ufo, Come on. Yeah, Ufos, they, they've made their foot uh, or their sandals enough that it contours your foot a lot better. So you actually do get support of your arch, your heel, right? The way they, they, they're, they're, they're called a recovery sandal. They're, they sponsor Mina Kimes football podcast. Good for them. It's a great podcast. Mina Kimes is great. <laughs> Fantastic. Ufos, you know you want to get in the running. You're, you're in running. for running. Listen, you're the not running there community. for football. You're in for running. Come on, no, sponsor the, the show, for the goodness sake. The running community would eat Ufos. I mean, if I could tell people, I'm like, instead of wearing your slides and your thongs, you need to get some Ufos. I have some. They're great. great. No more thongs, only Ufos. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say that word. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Deal. Uh, to be fair, my mom actually wears a pair, and she loves them. See? I'm telling this you. Is, let me ask you this, though, because this has become an issue, and I've okay. read it on other places, too, is how does age play a part not only a plantar fasciitis, but as you mentioned, the uh, the other pieces to the puzzle here that can cause plantar fasciitis. How does aging play a part, whether it's lower leg stuff, mobility stuff, flexibility, whatever, that may cause people or not cause people to develop any of these symptoms? You know, I tell people, it, he, we're not like cars where we can change our parts, Right. So, and unfortunately, as we age, a lot of things, just the elasticity, we lose elasticity, um, we get stiffer, we get weaker naturally. So I think the natural aging process just makes people stiffer and weaker. And so I always say the older you get, you actually need to work out more, stretch more, and be more involved with your health. Because if not, I mean, you're you're just, you're going to go down this road of, Everyone's going to get there. And I think everyone's going to have arthritis. Everyone's going to develop degenerative tendon problems. So I do think age is a huge factor for people who tend, like if you're an athlete and you're older, you're just naturally going, you're more at risk for having, experiencing injuries. I mean, it's like with everything, right? It's like with age, you have to be more conscious of all the stuff. Same thing with diet. Everything. Same thing with so many things. Like Everything. Like you just have to be more conscious, more intentional 
by yourself. And, you know, obviously age is, you know, it was always going to be there. But as we've had people on this show many times, like it doesn't stop people if they do the right things it, yeah, to, exactly. to, to, to peak later in life, especially if they're not a pro athlete who didn't peak at age 26. Right. right. Like most of you listening to this, you know, at age 26, 27, 28, 29, like maybe they have maybe their, their physical peak has passed, but the peaking, the post peak can be such a slow linear yes. decline yes. that, that you can actually peak later in life. If you didn't, actively peak at age 26, 27, 28, which really only professional athletes do. Exactly. So I think uh, the older you get, kind of what, leading into what you just said, the older you get, you, as long as you're investing into the small, tedious things we talk about, as long as you do small, tedious things, you're going to be okay. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. All right. So let's talk about our friends who are now past the point of the, the early symptoms who have plantar fasciitis. It's not a crippling thing, but it's real and it's affecting them. What does that, how does that manifest itself in terms of, you know, consistency and how often it could impact their running? And what are some of the things, knowing full well that each person is different, but what are some of the things that they can start doing to mitigate this while still living an active lifestyle like everyone who's listening to this podcast is trying to live? I think for the most part, uh, avid runners, they kind of know their body really well. So when they get to that point, uh, the first thing I always say is, have you used new shoes, new shoes you haven't tried? Sometimes the footwear, changing footwear, changing brands might not necessarily fit your foot type and you may not know it. And so that might be a catalyst for, oh, why is it making you land a little bit different and making you roll off a little bit different? So that's one of the first things I tell people to check if you're an avid runner. If you're more of a newer runner, I always say, okay, have you had an assessment? So if you go to your running store, usually they're pretty good about the technology now that they'll see like, oh, you're a little bit more flat footed, a little bit higher arch. And so you might get the appropriate shoe uh, wear. So that's something you could off the bat fix. Um, but once you start feeling it and you have the shoe stuff figured out, I really think it's kind of like if you do a calf stretch and you feel your calf pulling pretty bad, you're probably stiff. So one, you probably should be stretching more, right? Um, another thing that I tell people is if you're done with your run or you're done a long run and you notice that your calf, calf cramping or your feet cramp, you probably have maybe um, a, a strength problem. <laughs> you probably have a little bit of a strength problem that might need to be addressed, right? So we talked about this before. If you can't do 30 single leg heel raises, you can't lift your heel 30 times, you that I'm raising my hands. We don't, we're not recording the video. I'm raising my hand. I did it yesterday <laughs> in preparation for this yeah. call. Yeah. And uh, I did yes. I didn't. I didn't. What get was it. your number? It wasn't 29. Oh my gosh. I think I'm at like 26. Yeah, I was like 26 and I was like, okay, well, 25, well, 25 is for someone who's not athletic, but for runners, I'm like, no, you should be hitting 30 plus easy. Well, then I'm not, then the breaking news here on the Rambling Runner podcast, yeah. I'm not athletic. 
We'll, yeah, we'll be shocked to my ego. We got to change the name of this show. No, no, no. But, but it, I, I was at I was at twenty two and twenty four respectively. So you might just have to do a little bit more. Imagine, so if you have stiff toe, you have a little bit of foot weakness. It might take just doing small training errors where you run too many miles too fast, and boom, you're feeling some soreness, and you're like, "What's going on?" So those are are quick things. All right, let me ask you this question. Um, you mentioned before with the high arches and then the flat feet, how they basically have to approach it from different angles to get to the same result. Right. So with the stretching, is there a proper protocol and method to do this time of day, so on and so forth? And does there get to a point where the stretching can be like picking, picking a scab, so to speak, with the issue where all of a sudden you're now inflaming it because you're doing too much of it or, you know, we've all been in those situations where you have an injury and like every five seconds we're like, how does it feel now? How does it feel now? How does it feel yeah, now? Yeah, 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 and, you yeah. know, so like, is there a point where you get not only diminishing returns, but all of a sudden you've crossed the bell curve and now you're going down where more now, like more stretching all of a sudden means more harm. I will say that is definitely way, and I've seen this many times with the patients that I see, but more than often, this will happen with people who are flat-footed and have very hypermobile feet. So flat feet, their ankles, yeah, they might be a little bit stiff, but they have like a lot of range. And I'm like, Ooh, you probably should not stretch your calves out that much. Uh, a general rule of thumb, people who have pretty high arches tend to be on the stiffer side. So they can stretch and stretching is actually beneficial for their feet because their feet are a little bit more rigid. Um, but I would say for the people who have very low arches and they don't feel a stretch in their calf, them stretching their calf, it can be detrimental because you're just overstretching a structure that doesn't want to be stretched. It actually needs more structure and stability. All right. For folks who are experiencing significant, not significant, but prolonged issues with plantar fasciitis, from a running footwear perspective, let's talk about this and how much um, not only stack height, but kinds of cushioning, stability elements, and heel drop can play a part in mitigating some of these issues. I know Matt Klein over at Doctors of Running um, is, is talking a lot about his research with this exact same topic in terms of like, you know, these sorts of issues with masters and older runners. And he has, you know, he hasn't published some of his work yet, but he keeps kind of hinting at the fact that like he kind of recommends older runners have a little bit of a higher drop shoe than younger runners. Again, painting with a broad brush, depending on their own personal you know, geometry and, and, and things like that. Um, I kind of, I, I'm, a, I'm sure alluding to what you said earlier in terms of like just the general stiffness that can happen later in life. So running shoes, let's talk about how they can or cannot affect some of these issues. I will say this, does anything close to a zero millimeter drop shoe for plantar fasciitis is probably not helpful. Um, usually people, and you'll see, you'll hear patients say like, if I wear a kitten heel, this is for women or whoever that, oh, it feel way better when I'm wearing heels. I actually prefer wearing heels and they have plantar fasciitis, which makes sense if they're stiff, right? Which tends for the most part, stiffness is a big contributing factor for plantar fasciitis. If they're stiff, they don't have the range. You need about 10 degrees to walk of dorsiflexion. For running, you need almost full, you ideally want full 20. So if you don't have it, having a higher uh, lift in the shoe actually takes t tension off of the plantar fascia when you're rolling off. So I would say, yes, that makes sense. I, I think that's what you're alluding to with Matt Klein with the higher or the older patients. They might need a little Correct. bit more of, yes. So 
I completely agree with that. Because he was talking, he, he brought up a lot of times, and I think the most recent time I heard him mention it, uh, they have a really good YouTube channel, Doctors of Running. They do a lot of shoe reviews, and they have a good podcast as well. He was talking about the Metaspeed Plus, Sky Plus, and Edge Plus. And talk about how he would recommend for some of his older runners the Edge Plus because it had a nine nine or eight millimeter drop, where the the Sky Plus had a four or five millimeter drop. And for them, in terms of it was a potential differentiator. I completely agree with that. So, and it kind of just makes sense. Structurally speaking, if you're older, you tend to have more degenerative problems anyways. Why make it harder for you to run and risk the risk of having this six month to one year injury when you just might be better off with a higher heel? That's why the rocker shoe was so popular at some point because that generally helped with plantar fasciitis as well. You don't have to push off your toes so hard and contract the fascia. So there's that. Right. And we say rocker shoes. Hoka is a big one on this. They've been putting out rocker shoes for a long time. Another shoe that has a um, heavy rocker is the Asics Glide Ride. I think the Glide Ride 3 recently came out and it's getting rave reviews. And sometimes you see that rocker, it's like it, it kind of has a stability element within it. Some people like that. Some people don't. I will say the Glide Ride 3 because it has a fresh foam blast plus on the top level, which is very soft. I have Freshman Flat Plus right here. There you go. In the A6 Nimbus 24, which I can tell you is incredibly soft. This shoe is too soft for me. I just panned this shoe in a recent episode with Tommy Runs. That's why it's next to me over here (laughs) on the table. Um, Yeah, no, I'm I'm saying... No, this that's kind of what I recommend my patients. So patients who are a little bit on the on the flatter side or on the very high side to the both extremes, they both benefit from that because it just makes their foot less work hard. And I'm like, you're and you have to think of it, most runners were a little bit intense with their training. So telling someone they can't run, right, is like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna train? And I'm like, well, you it might hurt, but if you can get through some of your training with just changing your footwear, maybe that might not be traditional to what most people run in, but might help you. I mean, great place to start. All right. We're gonna we're gonna put a pin in that. We're gonna get back to that in a second. Um how about softness of the midsole? Is that a factor to consider? I think, again, depending on your, if you have a pretty normal size arch, I think you would be okay with soft. Um, Flat foot, you need way more structure and stability. High arches, you need more stability. So I think it also depends on what you're comfortable. It's kind of like a pillow when people tell me like, oh, what kind of pillow should I wear? And I was like, whatever your foot likes. If your foot does not feel good with the first few steps you're in a shoe, it's not the right shoe for you. Oh, so you should be able to tell pretty quickly. You should be able to tell pretty quickly. And I've had, I just went to a store, uh, I was trying to get new trail shoes. And the second I put them on, I was like, nope, I already Which know ones? this is oh not going to work. Know. I'm no, such a shoe I guy. Can't. Which it, ones? I, it was Come a, on, they're not going to sponsor the show anyway. <laughs> it was the Ultras. I got Ultra Pair. I don't remember which one it was, but again, there's 0% drop. But <laughs> was, it the, was, it the, was it the new racer, the Mont Blanc? No, I tried on the Mont Blanc. Shout out to the Mont Blanc. Those things were legit. I heard the upper is a disaster. The which one? The Mont Blanc upper, I heard, is a disaster. But I heard the midsole is good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know about that. All right. Ultra makes really good trail shoes. And I've liked the Escalante in the past. However, they are zero drops. They they will provide you a high stack in certain cases, but it's still zero drop in any shoe. Yeah, zero drop for anyone who has plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, not the shoe for you. You need a little bit of a lift. Well, let me ask you this then. Why would barefoot walking in the house be okay 
for people with plantar fasciitis if zero drop shoes are not okay? In my head, I think, how, how much are you walking in your house, right? So Me, all the time. <laughs> I work maybe, at home okay. and I take care of my kids. I'm walking in the house constantly. So like, that's like the only place I walk. So if you're, if you're like Matt and you walk a whole bunch at home, okay, you need to, you need to wear I something. Feel like all, I feel like 95% of my non-running steps are in the house. Okay, see, I'm the opposite. When I'm at home, I'm like, maybe I'm cooking and standing, but I'm straight chilling, like computer, doing stuff, my phone. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to move at all. Oh, I got kids and dogs and I'm, yeah, I'm walking all the time. Okay, for parents and anyone with kids, okay, if you walk a lot, you you might need it. You might need oofus up in the house. Oofus. We need some house shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. No, but get I, the all get the, get the all whites, so you won't be tempted to bring them outside. Exactly. No, but I think for me, the the reason why I say is that is it's almost like I'm kind of against not against for, for most people who don't have foot deformities like a an arch support or an insert. I'm totally against that because I think your foot really relies on the structure versus using all these muscles and foot intrinsics and your posterior tib and your calf to help support your foot. So it's kind of the whole concept. If you don't use it, you lose it. It's very true with a lot of things. Um, but if you really do have like a, like a structural problem with your foot, you're going to need a little bit more support. All right. Now, let me ask you a question that wasn't on the list, but I wanted to ask, and we're going to get into the listener questions after this one. I'm holding up a shoe right now, A6 Minute Speed Sky. Just mentioned a second ago. It is the stiffest shoe on the market. From a it carbon a plate eraser. Carbon plate, yeah. As a carbon plate, I cannot bend it. Okay. Ooh. I've I have seven different carbon plated shoes in this house. This is easily, easily the stiffest. And I'm not the only one that has experienced that. So for people who enjoy taking out their ratios or potential ratios for, say, a workout in their long runs, like I do, right? I love the super shoes of the long runs and the workouts. Helps me recover the next day, right? Because you get these high stack foams. The foams are fantastic. You feel better the next day. That's great. However, a lot of them, especially this one, this sucker, which I cannot move unless I want to break it is incredibly stiff. Now, does that play a role, if anything, in terms of this conversation, or is it something that can be disregarded? I'm sure it can. Um, and I think it depends on each case, right? So again, if I'm going to use the two extremes of, of, of people who tend to have plantar fasciitis, someone who is very low arched, right, and needs that support, running on something that's stiff might definitely flare it up, right? Unless they tend to be a four-foot runner and they're on their toe. And they don't have to go from heel to toe. Right. And that's, and that's me. Yeah. Cause like basically like that, that's exactly what I do. I land midfoot, forefoot. So like for me, like I have a friend who loves this shoe. He's a heel strider. So like for him, it kind of works as a rocker. Yeah. Because it's so stiff. Right. It'll just, cause kind it's of so stiff. Him. It just right. kind of fly through for me. I can only wear this shoe if I'm flying. Right. And you're on the, your toe. Mm -hmm. Because that's the only way for me to really move the plate. Right. Otherwise, it's just so it's too still. Like I can't wear this at marathon pace. No, you have to be sprinting. Yeah. Right. So like I need to I need to wear this at basically 10k pace or and less. So like this is a really good like workout shoe for me. It is not a good marathon shoe for me. Whereas like the Puma DV8 Elite or even the Vaporfly, which which definitely gets like kind of like in the middle of the road from a, a flexion standpoint with the, with the uh, the plate works just fine with a long run for me. Where that one like my foot. My left foot fell asleep in that shoe when I was running. 
I would, I, I, I have a flatter foot. So I would be like, my, my cringing. I'm like, oh, my feet hurt just thinking about me being in that shoe. I don't know. <laughs> I said, what, yeah. what voice is that exactly? Is that a, was that an impression or was that? That, that was inner, that was my inner, inner Jess voice. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> I like that. All right. So I sent you the, I sent you the questions for, um, I was say for, from the people on Instagram. Yes. So we have them here. Are there certain ones that you want to hit in terms of order, or do you just want me to throw you at them a little like, you know? You throw them out. I think I have those for each of them. Yes. Okay. Tips and tricks for hot summer runs. Just kidding. I <laughs> I already responded to that one. Smalls 26.2. Miguel. Last episode. Allison Stables, Corinne Malcolm. Whole episode on it. Go check it out. It's really good. <sighs> um, awesome. I'm just playing around. All right. I'm just going to go in order here. Um, I should have read these ahead of time because there's probably okay. a, 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 no, there's probably best order doing it. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go to this one because you just kind of hinted at it. Okay. Getting custom orthotics versus buying one over the counter slash not getting orthotics at all, I guess, is the other option here. I, if you have extremely low arches or extremely high arches and you are suffering from plantar fasciitis, you might need custom orthotics because over the counter is not going to provide the support that you need for your foot. Most of the over-the-counters for someone who has a very, I would say, quote-unquote traditional foot, moderate arch, enough support. Um, and if you're using an over-the-counter support, in my mind, I always you want to get to the point where you're training yourself and you're not using any, any insert unless you have a custom orthotic. So that would be the answer for that. All right. Um... Mary C. Rojas asked a question, which I think we've already touched on. What's the best prevention? What's the best thing to do if I'm in the middle of training? We kind of already talked about the prevention, right? Yep. Do the tedious, annoying stretches. Take care of your feet. There you go. All right. Let's see here. Oh, one of our one of our our our, our poor people who who have the vampire but struggled for years. What's the best relief besides taping? And stretching. So we didn't talk about taping. They already do some of the stretching. Is it, is it, you know, we've already touched on a lot of this stuff, but how would you address this person specifically? If this person came in and said, I've had years of plantar fasciitis pain, I kind of start getting worried. I'm like, uh, one, has anyone looked at your running gait? Is there things that we can try to change there off the bat? If you're keep suffering from it, there's the root of the problem has never been fixed. So he might not. It, and if he's gone to PT and it's not helping, well, he might definitely need a shoe. It's a she. Shoe. It's a she. I, how dare a you? She. I'm how sorry. dare you? I'm sorry. <laughs> how dare you just assume it's a she, Minnesota uh, running mom? Miss, I'm so Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you, so I'm just, you know. Okay. But if. I did not, I did not submit all the questions. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but if someone is having like this chronicity of pain, I'm thinking, okay, heel spur is usually one of the last things I think about. But if it's a reoccurring thing, are they having a heel spur? Is a heel spur causing all these things? So um, you definitely would have to get for sure having an appointment with a podiatrist and getting all these other like outside of the box diagnosis cleared out. Um, I mean, if it's really bad and chronic too, this is on the spectrum. I don't know if she's had it, how chronic it is, but for people who don't do well with conservative treatment, you're going to need the whole like local injection or cortisone injection or something like that. Um, but ideally you don't want to do that. So. All right. So she's been dealing with it for years. Obviously, you, as you mentioned, the root of the problem has not been fixed or if it has been fixed, it keeps coming back. So who does she contact? I think she, so this is the, the tricky part. 
and, and this is not to make any therapist feel bad. Not every physical therapist is is well versed in running. So and I that's think- fair. And that, that's perfectly fair, right? Like if like if like a wrestler came to you and said, "Hey, I'm experiencing shoulder pain," you might be like, "Well, I don't even know what freaking moves you're doing. So how am I supposed to know?" Right. You know, it's like right. I mean, the, the, the kind of sport you're doing is important. Yeah, like I had like I feel very uncomfortable with martial artists, like you know, Taekwondo. And so I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't even know the moves. Right. So I right. think finding the and right therapist. Especially when they're especially sitting there in your office, right. They're like giving you the lingo of their sport. You're like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know I, what that means. I remember talking to a PT about this. He's like, he's like, I, I was, I got into running. This was him talking. He's like, people were using words and I didn't know what that meant. Like they're like, Oh, I did a workout today. He's like, well, I came from like the strength training world. Because I thought workout meant like they were lifting weights. No, they were doing, they're on the track. He's like, the lingo was so different. It took him like three years to like get it down. He was like working with his colleagues. Like this person said this, what does that mean? Yeah. So this is, this is an important step. I do think so. Definitely researching and asking your runner friends or running stores. Usually they'll always have a therapist that they're like, hey, this therapist works with a lot of runners because this person's going to take the time to look at your gait, to look at your feet, to look at all these things that are important to running. So just finding the right provider for that, for sure. All right. You mentioned a second ago. Um, this is a great question from Ruby. Differentiating between PF and heel fracture versus other things. Okay. Plantar fasciitis, typical sharp pain in the morning. It generally tends to go away during the day. If you have a calcaneal fracture, if you were to squeeze your heel and you have pain, you have a fracture. If you have pain with every step and it's sharp and it's swollen and doesn't go away, you probably have a fracture. Um, different from like posterior tendonitis is in a different place. It's on like the inside of your arch. Um, what else is out there? There's so many things out there. About uh, heel spurs. Heel spur will kind of feel like plantar fasciitis. So this is kind of where I go. The only way you're really going to be able to differentiate is if the conservative treatment is not working. All right. So when the, is the cortisone shot counted as conservative or is that more drastic? No, that's more drastic. So the stretch you're doing, you've done weeks of stretching, you're strengthening, you've changed your footwear and you're still having pain. You might need to get checked out for, for a spur or something like that. Okay. All right. Until my father-in-law, he has plantar, <laughs> he has, he has plantar fasciitis. I'm not sure if he did any of these things. You need to, you, you need to go over there and stretch out he his toe. He did. His <laughs> wife says he didn't. They live across the street from me. I'm not throwing shade. I'm not judging. I'm not, I'm not saying who's right or wrong. Matt, you need to go I over would. there and stretch out his big toe. Do it for him. I'm just, let me show you the half lunge, big toe stretch. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It is a funny looking thing. It works. It works. It's weird. Yep. Toe yoga. It's weird. Everyone Google toe yoga. My dog looks at me. His ears kind of like go up like, what's going on? What are you doing over there? (laughs) Every time I do. (laughs) Our dog. He's hysterical. All right. Let's see here. All right. We've we've touched on a couple of these. Some of these are a little repetitive, which is totally understandable because a lot of people deal with the same things. Um, All right. Here's a good one. Is there a link between PF and Achilles tendonitis? I've had Achilles tendonitis for two years after bad PF. Yes. So if you think of the root of the problem for plantar fasciitis, which tends to be a mobility problem or strength problem, right? And it kind of directly is correlated with the calf. If you tend to have stiff ankle or weak calf and it's stressing out the fascia, it's going to eventually stress out the Achilles tendon. 
or it could be vice versa. People who have chelous tendonitis tend to develop plantar fasciitis. So it's like brother and sister, cousins. Like cousins. 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 Hopefully, we cousins. Can, hopefully we can separate these cousins so they don't see each other very often. Yeah, we don't so want you can say, those cousins. Those, that one's over there. That was over here. They don't yeah. see each other anymore. And they're you like talking related. about the cousins. Those are the t- cousins you want to talk about, but not necessarily see all the time. Oh, that's, I feel like this is getting <laughs> shockingly personal. I love my family. There's no one. <laughs> not my cousins. <laughs> Your cousins are great. They're all fantastic. They're all great. Um, they're sponsoring this episode. That's right. I want to give a shout out to them in the intro. Um, I think that is about it, which is um, thank you everyone who was submitting questions. That was uh, very well done. I guess the last thing is, um, I guess surgery, right? Is it surgery kind of the last option? And what does that even entail? Oh my God. I hope no one ever gets surgery. Outcomes are 50%. 50% it works, 50% it doesn't. So y- let's all pray for anyone out there who don't let last resort. Last resort. That is, you've tried everything for months, years, and nothing's helping. And at that point, and you've done the cortisone shot, and that's still not helping. It could be also, I've had a few people who, I've had podiatrists send me patients, plantar fasciitis, and it's actually posterior tibial nerve irritation, not plantar fasciitis. So that's another diagnosis that might need to get addressed. Oh. Mm-hmm. Posterior Posterior tib. Post tib nerve stuff. Entrapment. That mm-hmm. is not that is not an enjoyable PT experience. No. And that I, be- I had a PT who thought I had that. It wasn't, it was a bone bruise. Ooh. Which was um an unfortunate situation for me because wow. what was what is needed to deal with the PT nerve impingement or whatever. Yeah. Was the exact opposite of what you would want for a bone bruise in that area. Right, yeah. So basically the bone bruise just kept getting worse and worse as he was digging in with like the yeah. metal tool to release the nerve. Scraping. He's like, he's like, I was like, I said, this really hurts. He goes, it's supposed to hurt. Because it probably does for people who have posted yeah, nerve issues. It's so a nerve like, issue. So like after like a month, I'm like, I can't even walk anymore. I'm on oh, crutches. No. Like, is this, is this still is this still part of the plan? He's like no, that's not part of the plan anymore. We've now diverging wildly from the point of the um, podcast. But no, I but, have no, to bring but, that up. But, but, but I will say this. If you, anyone is having like the inside of your heel hurts and they get burning, zapping, you probably have a nerve problem, not plantar fasciitis. So there's that. That's good to know. All right. The PF talk is over. Jess Mena, a month from now, we're going to talk about it now because in a month, it will have passed before our next episode. You're going to be doing some cool stuff. You're part of a bunch of cool stuff in the L.A., northern L.A. area. Tell us all about it. There's a lot of things happening in L.A. <laughs> Where do I start? Uh, there's a few track races coming out here. I think we talked about the Tracksmith 5000 Twilight Series is going to be out here. So I'll be out there with a whole bunch of the community people doing those races. One is in July. The other one's in August um, at Occidental College. Great track at Hot, they host a whole bunch of distant carnivals. That's a beautiful place too. I played in a, I played in a college basketball tournament out there you one did? year. That was great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That I was love a fun Oxy. spot. I like the Oxy College. They're you know they're a rival school. I went to Whittier, which is a rival. So you know it's a little beast there. But their gym left a lot to be desired. Their campus beautiful. Beautiful. 
old school campus, beautiful campus. So I'll be doing that. And I, I think this weekend, this podcast might have come out already. Uh, there's like Adidas is hosting a track meet. So there's going to be a lot of community clubs out there with their four by four teams and then running the four, eight, 1200. Um, so that'll be fun. Yeah. So when's the last time you did 12 and a half hard laps on a track? Um, College. 2011 was the last time I've done that. Yep. Yep. So 12 and a half laps, people. That's a 5K. Don't, I don't care what your GPS watch says. I don't no. care. It doesn't measure the track correctly. <laughs> it's 12 and a half laps. It's freaking measured ahead of time. Yeah. I tell I tell some of my athletes when I tell, do like a, a time trial 5K, they're like, well, my watch said it was 3.27. I'm like, Nope. It's 12 and a half laps. <laughs> just, just what it is. I'm really nervous because I haven't ran a track event since college, right? Uh, Don't but go I'm up really... too hard, Jessmina. Please, I for the know, love of God, do not, do not bust it in the first 200 meters. I know it's gonna, but it's gonna be fun because I think the pressure will be be down since you're gonna have all your community people there. You know, oh, We're you not think a... running in front of your friends provides less pressure? That's adorable. <laughs> That's fantastic. I know, I've never heard that opinion before. I've yeah, always experienced yeah. the exact opposite. Now we're gonna have people like, "What pace are you going?" Okay, we're gonna go your. Okay, we're gonna say that pace. Right, because no one cares what their friends think. This is this is a very good point. <laughs> hey, I don't know. I guess I'll find out. I haven't ran on the track in a long time. Maybe my competitive side will come out. Maybe my fun side will come out. I have no idea. I guess we'll find out. I have no idea. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Remember, just aim to pass people in the last 300 meters. Last 300 meters. I feel okay, like if okay, you do okay. that on the track in a 5K, again, I've run a lot of 5Ks, but I've coached a lot of people who've done them and on the track, that if you aim to pass people in the last 300 meters, and that's the whole goal of the race, you know, with the idea of, like, we're not completely sandbagging the first, you know, yeah. 11 laps, <laughs> yeah. um, that, like, it, it kind of sets you up for success versus the whole, like, I am hanging on for dear life what just passed me? Holy crap! That was a human type feeling. I mean, low key, low key. I'm definitely going to train for it. I'm just not going to let tell anybody. So, so. good thing because this is part of the podcast. It's not <laughs> so that's, that's totally fine. <laughs> I'm going to hide my Strava so people can't see what I'm doing. I'm just Strava, Strava, Strava. That's it. Exactly. So what are you What are you going to do to prepare? Um, I think I don't know. Honestly, what should I do? You're the coach. Well, I think you got to do a couple of things, right? First yeah, of all, you've been, doing a lot of, you've been doing a lot of trail running, which is fun and yeah, definitely exciting running. and doing a lot of group runs. Also yes. super fun and exciting, which means you probably also haven't really hit that VO2 max. No. Consistently. No. Right. So, and especially with your weather right now, it's getting hot. It's going to be hard. If you're hitting VO2 max in your workouts, which you should, because you're going to be hitting it in that race. I would say for your VO2 VO2 max workouts, whether it's two, three, four, five minute, not really five, but you know, two to four minute reps, I would suggest some walking rest so that you're able to get back at it, um, especially the week of the race, so that you can practice getting out at race pace off of a dead stop and not gunning it right from the starting line. Um, so if we're talking about this, maybe you do like a ladder workout where you're doing, you know, three by three minute, three by two minute, five by one minute with a one minute walk in between. I think that way you're kind of hitting that interval pace type feel with close to that pretty kind of 5K pace, maybe a little faster. And then you're going from there um, with the idea being that, you know, the first mile of the 5K, 
but outside of the kind of jumping off the line, should feel strong but controlled. Okay. I'm taking notes. I'm definitely 100% taking notes. There you go. The second mile should feel like you're kind of questioning yourself of like, did I go too fast? Did I? Yeah. I might have gone too fast. Right. If you're not questioning yourself in the second mile, then you probably should speed up a little bit. If you're like, I am way going too fast. I'm definitely going too fast. Then take it down a notch. Okay. okay. Fifth gear, put it back in fourth gear. Don't, don't, no, no, nothing drastic. And then be prepared. The last mile is going to be tough. This way it goes. Yeah, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's the way it goes. Okay. Be optimistic about it and embrace it, right? It's going to hurt no matter what. So you might as well have a positive attitude. And then just think about, hey, then you have to figure out what works best for you. Some people are best going inside, right? So they go completely internal. They focus on their thinking and they have to focus on keeping that right to stay in the moment and focus. Other people, and I'm in this group, especially in the last, I need to be that way in the second mile. In the third mile, I need to be external. Okay, who am I passing? Who do I not want to get passed by? Ooh. And I need to go, I go full external because I'm in, I'm not feeling super comfortable at this point. So I can't be inside. Ah. I need to be outside. So I'm not thinking about that. I'm going full external. All right. I got these three people ahead of me. I'm going to get, I'm going to go get them. I got this guy behind me who I just passed. I know he's lingering. I want to keep him off my back. And then that way I can kind of, you know, again, every person's different, but I think kind of understanding how you I fit into I don't know who it. I am yet. I think I think you're an obvious external person here. <laughs> I, I pretend I think I am. I get really I get pissed. Oh my god! So quick thing before trail run. And this if you have to Sunday, embrace the anger, embrace the anger. Anything oh to get it rolling in that last eight hundred. This last trail run, they didn't have the marker for the turnaround, and pissed i was like where the hell is this turnaround and i ran the fastest downhill i've ever ran before but uh so maybe it is me and uh, this girl was so mad she passed me right at the last second i didn't hear her didn't hear her i was so mad but i shook her hand hey if you have to embrace the hate (laughs) to finish strong you know it isn't and then just do it you I know, I mean, you're not, you're not hurting anybody. You're not hurting anybody. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, just go for it. Yeah, you just, I'm just going to use it. I'm going to use that to get me through. But, oh my gosh, thanks for the tips. I literally was, while you were saying that, I was like, yeah, I haven't done any of this. I definitely need to do this. I definitely need to do this. So, thank you, coach. Before you do that workout, in your warm-up, again, the two to three mile warm-up as normal, make sure you do, you know, four to, you know, four 20-second strides. Yeah. Right. And even if you have to take a break after the warm up, just just reset. Doesn't have to be like you didn't warm up and just roll right into the workout. You have to take a second to reset. Do it. Yeah. No problem. Let it go. You do the cool down anyway. It's totally fine. Um, yeah. No, Great. Be I'm, fun. I'm gonna have to go to a track workout. But you have Thursday. to practice on the track a little bit before you do this. If you're, if you're yeah, running on the to. track, you gotta practice on the track. Yeah, I need to. I need to go. I need to go to track. So I might have to go join someone on the track. Also. Don't worry about pace while you're doing this workout, these workouts. Oh. Okay. Don't worry about pace. You don't know what your 5K pace is on the track in the heat. No. So what's the point of practicing, all right? Practicing your your pace, all right? Go out, complete the workout, okay? Mm -hmm. Look at your pace afterwards. Oh. Right? You're going to be roughly aware of like, all right, am I tanking? Do I have energy to do this? Okay. Being aware of your pace oftentimes is just going to sabotage the effort. Either it's going to mean 
a negative sense of like, oh, I'm not running fast enough. I should be faster than this. And all of a sudden you're tanking your workout because you're in your own head. Or you're faster than you think, but you all of a sudden you have a governor on your effort because you're like, all right, no, I was going to go out at like, I was going to do do all these things at like, you know, in a you know, minute 40 seconds per lap or a minute 35 seconds per lap. I just did an 87 second lap. It felt fine, but I should probably hold back. No, 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 no. No, just, oh, run. just run if you want okay. to like if you want to like check yourself at the 100 meter mark just to make sure that you didn't run it in 14 seconds fine but after that after like the first couple reps and then you know you kind of get the feeling and you just let it go because ultimately you want to get the feeling of how does this feel and hey who's this you don't know we, we, we're, we're such bad judges of like how fast are we right now we don't know <laughs> We don't know. That's so true. So just, so just true. run hard. Just run hard. You're going to get the stimulus either way. Damn. I'm going to have to tag you on my workout and see how it goes. Ladies and gentlemen, Coach Matt. Instagram. We're going to do an Instagram live. <laughs> Jess Mena. Yeah. At the yeah, Pomona Pisser track. Yeah. The blue track. Oh, my gosh. That'd be great. All right. This has been so much fun. If you like this episode and how could you not, go back and check out our monthly podcast with Jess. We've talked about side stitches. We've talked about strength training. And in July, we will talk about something else. But either way, these are super informative and fun. Jess, thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you. Hope to talk to you guys soon. Jess, thank you so much for coming on this show. This was an absolute blast, as it always is. Jess is, uh, Jess is the best. That's it. She's the best. So, Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you for listening to the Rambling Runner podcast. It means so much to me. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.